0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name's Alon. And my name's Aura. And, uh... Wow. So, I came over here, and you had me play a bunch of games. Perish the thought. Yeah. Yeah, I played a bunch of games. Um, As did I. Some good, some bad. Good qualities, bad qualities. Some
1: bad, some not as bad. Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) we'll definitely talk about those uh, later in the show. But to start start, we have something else.
1: So, this is really interesting. A few months ago, maybe it was even almost like a year ago, there was a news story that we didn't cover because it was not that interesting. We're going back months? Wow. Well, this is about the legal system. Uh, well, I, mean, I how it goes.
0: It's like just yesterday. So,
1: <laughs> it was not an interesting story before, but now it's an interesting story because the story is that one of the original developers of John Madden Football... Now, we have to go way back. We're talking about the original, original.
0: I don't even know what the first year was. Was it 80s or it early was, 90s?
1: It was, well, the agreement that he signed was in
0: 1986. The developer or Madden? Developer. Okay.
1: So that's when the original Madden started to be programmed. So that was a while ago. Yeah. I remember the first incarnation that I saw of it was uh, actually on the Genesis. So that was kind of like early 90s.
0: Right? Gen- Genesis was the first one I played.
1: Yeah, me too. So here's the story. And the reason why we didn't cover it before is because this developer, he was a programmer uh, and designer actually. Um, his name is Robin Antonic. And he, well, he's litigating against EA. Because he was claiming that, um, yeah, you know uh, all the money that they made for uh, since uh, over then the last twenty five years. Yeah, it's 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 about how long it's been, right? Um, well, they weren't paying him royalties that whole time that he was supposed to, and the reason why it was uninteresting before is because we just it just seemed frivolous, at least yeah. on the face of it. Me being completely naive to the reality of what it is, on the face of it, you would guess or you would suppose that if there is a long running game series that has been going for 25 years or more that at some point the pretty much any semblance or piece of the original would no longer be a part of that code base yeah and if we don't know when that happened but it i think it's reasonable to surmise that it probably happened uh, sometime, still a long time ago.
0: I'm guessing with the generation change, when it went from Genesis to, you know, PlayStation.
1: It could be, it could be right?
0: But certainly
1: it's, it seems kind of a stretch, you know, if we can be so speculative now. So I, I just looked at the story then, and I was like, yeah, this is, never gonna, this is weird. This is never going to go to trial. But guess what? What's trial? If they've now decided that uh, the case is going to proceed to trial, and that's going to happen on June 17th.
0: Is he making a claim that the code base is original or that he had an agreement that said he... Okay, so here is, here
1: is the claim exactly. He says that he signed an agreement in 1986 that required EA to pay him royalties, and this is the beautiful language, on any derivative works related to the original version of EA Madden, including current annual releases.
0: Wow. Wow. So yeah, that is vague enough to cover anything with Madden in the title. That is opinion.
1: one powerful statement <laughs> embolded by the powerful success of the Madden franchise.
0: How much do you think the royalties would be like one percent, ten percent Well, because no matter what it is, that cat is going to be just swimming. In Scrooge McDuck amounts of money.
1: Yeah. I mean if he if he gets anything, it's going to be insane. Um, because they're not it's not the story I have didn't specify precisely how much he wants. But it's it's millions of unpaid, unpaid royalties and they are characterizing the franchise as being worth five billion. Yeah, so that's a billion good. dollars.
0: One percent would be fifty million dollars for this cat.
1: Yeah. You would, know, gross. So I mean I don't know. I don't know if this is legit or not, but I mean he's certainly in a unique position. He's in such a unique position that it might be just worth it to try. Even if you thought that you had no leg to stand on.
0: Yeah. Well, they'll probably settle with him for a good what, ten, twenty, thirty million dollars.
1: That's yeah, that's that's probably that's what's funny, right? If he probably went all the way, like maybe he'd win, maybe he'd lose, but I mean, EA would probably be a lot more interested in just giving him several cool million and uh, yeah. everyone's a winner, I guess.
0: Dude, <laughs> EA is in a tough place right now. They lose Riccatello. Riccitello was, like... I mean, he was head of honcho. He's been gone oh, yeah. a bit now.
1: And, see, it's funny because, like, every time I saw his name uh, on any kind of video game story, he'd be, like... It would be, like, the the, like, most, like, carefully chosen picture of him, like... I don't know, like doing something funny with his face. You know how they do that with people, like that you they want to frame as like looking like bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So he's like puffing up his like you know his his uh, cheeks, like and about to like big, let out a big sigh, or just got this really like downtrodden like look on his face, or like every picture of him, and you're just like you just you just like you can just feel the weight of the world on him, and it's just all very negative appearing.
0: Well, yeah, this company is going through a lot. Yeah. But more. you know what company
1: is um, going through a lot more? And by a lot more, I mean a lot more profits for the
0: CEO. <laughs> oh, it's funny. So you want to talk about this, and I actually find this to be totally uninteresting. I don't, I don't know where the difference is. It's going to be interesting
1: I. for one minute because the question that's interesting is I'm going to ask you, Alon. The CEO of Activision, Bobby Kotick, how much more do you think he made this year compared to last year? You know, I
0: read these stories already. So, yeah. so do, you know, do you know the number? Well, the thing is that the story mixed up numbers a lot. And then it's do you take in – is it base salary? We're talking about bonus. Well, good question. But so maybe, maybe we want to ask uh, the third party
1: here who is silent.
0: No, I no? don't. Okay. I, I mean, it would just be picking numbers out of a hat at this point.
1: Yeah, but that's fun too.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, but it, he made last year something like 8.62 million or something. Yeah, so around somewhere
1: there. around the neighborhood of 8 million. And at least the story I read. But um, that's in
0: a bunch of stocks and stuff. And so that, that number is super volatile. Yeah. it's. I doubt it's his base salary. Now, his base is somewhere around, five, what, 500,000 or 2 million or something? Um, as funny as it is to say, that
1: sounds about normal. For CEOs of yeah. video game, you know what's, corporations. what's more
0: interesting is very recently prior to reading the article about Bobby Kotick making tons of money as the CEO, yeah. I was reading about how Zuckerberg is just another in the long line of tech CEOs earning only a dollar a year. But
1: is he really? But he's not really earning a dollar a year.
0: No, their salary is a dollar. Salary is a dollar, and then, and then they're then they compensated simply options. in stock. Yeah, which means obviously that they have a reason to make the company continue growing, right? That's their incentive. They're incentivized to make the company continue to do better.
1: Well, in this case, as the others, I'm sure that his options uh, completely dwarf whatever salary may or may not be present. Either so, way,
0: you know, if I was making $2 million a year with no bonus, no stocks, I'd be pretty happy.
1: Well, of course.
0: Pretty happy. So
1: I'm just going to say this stat that I have, um, since I know you won't be shocked. Maybe other people will be shocked. Uh, yeah, in 2012, he made uh, around almost $65
0: million, um, which is a factor of eight. Well, so here's the thing. I read the same article, but what happened is they updated that article and said, actually, that was how much he was given, but it's vested over a course of five years. Oh, okay. So that totally doesn't count. You're right. Yeah. So when you divide it over the five years, then he only made like $8 million something in 2012. Not all of the $65 million that he was given – requiring vesting. And all
1: okay, that. so this is funny. Actually, you know what? I want to use this opportunity to uh complain about something. Okay. This is the kind of thing we were talking about. We were talking about something related to this last time where we were relating a story, a news story that we kind of got wrong because we didn't read all the news stories. Yeah, about Earth. Right? And this is the same kind of thing here, right? And there's something that's been really pissing me off about news stories as of late, especially in the video game world. Okay, I thought
0: you were going to say pissing, pissing you off about how we handle st- stuff.
1: Well, I mean, we can always do more research, of course. That, we could. <laughs> <laughs> if it was worth it. And um, and that actually, I think there's a lot more weight to what you said than uh, even at first appearances. Because here's, here's the thing. There's... There's been so many cases where I'll read one story that has taken quotes from an interview, right? And if you just – if you don't go any farther, if you just read the headline and – sometimes if you just read the headline, you get one impression, okay? And then when you read the rest of the story, you get a completely different impression about what the reality of whatever story is they're reporting on, okay? So that I think is a little fucked up. Then – if you research other stories that are about uh, that same thing many many times it's I mean it's gotten to the point where it's just uncommon now you'll find that the the ones that a lot of the blogs report are taken from whatever other source and they're they're i mean they're sensationalized
0: they're misinterpreted because they're the misinterpreted them.
1: and they're they're just like they're just it just it, it has become something that is not what the reality of the story was. And so they're no longer actually trying to report on reality, but they're, they're actually trying so hard to excite you and to get you to click that um, it's just, it's nothing more, like it's just completely lost its meaning. It's nothing more than a tool for them to gather clicks and they don't give a shit about telling you the story as best as they can deliver it according to reality.
0: So you're suggesting that Blogs are more like tabloids than news chronicles.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well. But yeah. I don't want to characterize it as plainly as like okay, like the news corporation does it right, and then the blogs fuck it up. Um,
0: well, news Corps does their own amount of sensationalizing.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like I think that ways, and it's just, it's just completely retarded. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing? I mean, this is like, this is like Chinese, some kind of like retarded Chinese gold farming for clicks. I mean, that's what it amounts to. Yeah.
0: Well. You know, I gotta say, so we're, like in the, the specific case of the 65 million thing, he could be given more stock next year that's also vested over five years, in which case, he's still getting 65, the value of 65 yeah. million.
1: This but is, context is king. It, it is very important, yes. We'll
0: be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. It's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com.
1: All right, we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio, and now we're going to talk about games.
0: Can you believe that? Uh, before that, though, of course, there's other filler. Uh, our website is still not updated, but our Facebook page exists, and that's uh, slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And also, don't forget that we are sponsored by the University of Advanced Technology, whose website is uat.edu. So please give them give them a look. Uh, so you said we we're going to talk about games. There's three that you made me play. Which one do you want to start yeah. off with? So out of the ones
1: that I forced you to play, uh, let's let's do Battle Block Theater first because uh, I have a feeling like you'll have the most to say about that.
0: Mm, I don't know. I don't know. But it definitely was the most. I thought the the most enjoyable of the three. I ca- I gotta admit, it's possible. Kind of kind of like that last one. Well, no, the second one. Whatever. Okay, so Battle Block Theater. Where do you want to start? Um,
1: I'm just curious of your overall impressions, because it seems like, uh, in a lot of ways, at least the, the story mode seems a lot like, let's say, Little Big Planet in spirit, but with a totally different format.
0: Well, I mean, the gameplay is different, definitely. Uh, I, I love the intro. I thought it was funny in a way that wasn't, like, super campy, trying to make fun of me, or super, like, kindergarten Like, it was genuinely interesting and funny to me. Yeah, you know, it's funny because,
1: it. like, I, there was something unsettling about it to me, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I think that I'm just – see, the thing is, like, that was, like, a pun-filled intro. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been spending some time with our friend Tim Winsky a lot, and uh, he's much better at puns, I think, than that.
0: Really? Yeah. Because his are super campy, I thought. Oh, well. A little, little bit on the nose. I mean,
1: you know, there's no accounting for taste, but...
0: I thought these guys were great. And so the intro, to to put it into the mind of the listener who has not seen this, and, and there's free demos, get it? By the way, I'm going to recognize that we are well behind the curve. I'm. Isn't Battle Block Theater like a game that's been around for a it, long time? It's been out for a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah, we so, have, it's, so it's not that old. It's I, not I that old. It it's not that new. Okay, so it's made by the Behemoth. Uh, They did Alien Hobbit and Castle Crashers. Yeah,
1: which I should also mention, they've spent an incredible amount of time on this game. Uh, Partially, I think, because Castle Crashers was (laughs) such an enormous hit. I mean, that game made them so much money. I think they've been if i'm not mistaken they've been working on this game for like 5 years and actually it shows it's
0: incredibly polished yeah it it's a big one and uh, what's weird to me is how they ended up being popular like they uh we had one of their producer guys on the show years and years ago when they were talking about alien hominid which as i understand it went totally under the radar like basically nobody played alien hominid and then they come out of nowhere with Castle Crashers to be a really big hit. And yeah. that was very, like, they didn't have anything in, the, in between those two, right? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so. No, I... Castle Sweet. Crashers is a really, it's a really interesting study, I think, actually in economics. Because I feel like what that game did was... I don't think that it was absolutely um, a standout in terms of like, creativity or originality... Uh, or most of the things that I really value in games personally. But it seemed to fill like a very, very dearly wanted need, in the at least in the Xbox Live Arcade market. Which was, we don't have any really good Golden Axe style beat-em-ups. And this seemed to become the de facto. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were other games like that that came out for XBLA. But for some reason or another... Uh, this game has demolished all of them effortlessly.
0: So you feel like it just filled a void. I think it, like, so it's
1: like sublimely filled a void because apparently that void was really big and nobody else was able
0: to fill it. Wow. Okay. Well, BattleBlock Theater. Yeah. So, like I said, I want to paint this picture. So the intro... Which is not gameplay, right I'm just talking about like the storyline where they set you up for the game, which could be totally removed, and you would still have the game right i just I liked how it was done, so they had a guy, a na- narrator who seemed very polished, probably some sort of comedian, um, and perhaps even someone I should recognize but don't and uh, so it's telling a story of some people on a ship, right, but it's doing it in a way as if it's meant to look like you know you're you're putting on a I don't know, a play with cardboard cutouts yeah. that the viewer is watching. Yeah. And it just the way that it was animated, it was so much like someone was actually holding these cardboard cutouts and move like shaking them around and oh my god, the storm comes and the ship is violently hit by... it really looked like there was a human being holding up the pieces and making them all move. Yeah, you know what?
1: After you say it like that, they were actually pretty good at that. Yeah.
0: And for I'm guessing they used motion capture and actually had people holding sticks and stuff to to get the animation right. I think uh, that
1: would probably be the best way to do that unless you have some magical animator.
0: Yeah, it just, it was super polished and the just the voice, the voice guy, he did it really well and the story was funny and it seemed very natural and I don't even remember what the story is, but there was a boat, the friend ship, <laughs> filled <laughs> with friends, and uh, it, was, it was just really well done. So that was the, my first tip that like, hey, yeah, this is definitely a polished game. The game itself, playing the game, seemed mediocre to me. I mean I only played like one or two levels real quick, so I'm sure it gets more interesting and it'd probably be way better with multiple players. I just played single player. So I don't want to put it down too much because it probably has a lot going for it that I don't know about. But playing by myself, eh.
1: So this is this is really interesting to me because if I look at this game at face value, like if I just look at it in terms of the things that I like about games, which are mechanics. Um I mean it's it's quite good. I mean, the mechanics are solid. There's a variety of mechanics. They all play together very nicely in this very elegant system. There's a bunch of, I mean, everything's on a grid, you know, you have different kinds of blocks and, um, you know, when you buy the game, you can like make your own levels and stuff like that. They have an editor like little big planet does, or maybe not like little big planet does, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, by all accounts, if I look at this game from all directions, it sounds like a game that I would totally love. But when I play it, it's not actually that compelling to me. But
0: do you think that there are mechanics where in a multiplayer game that like the two players could help each other and stuff? Uh, I mean, like, there's definitely something because when I had the guy on the edge of a cliff and yeah. pressed one of the buttons, he would he yeah, you throw can, his I, arm down as yeah, if to help I mean, someone out.
1: Also, you can also like fuck the other player up too. Really, yeah. And I mean, there's—I there, mean, it's clear there's a bunch of different game modes, right? But the thing I want to get at is that I think I figured out why it's actually not as interesting to me as I thought it would be. Because if you just look at the mechanics, uh, I mean, it's—it it is a very nicely put together piece of design. But here's the thing: I really—and—and and after I say this, I want to—I'm curious to see what your perspective would be. But I really don't like the aesthetic. It's just not appealing to me at all. It, there's a certain – um, it's ironic to say this. There's a certain consistency to it that does not instill any sense of wonder. And I think also the fact that the, uh, the game is inherently this very obvious grid-based type of game. Also contributes to the lack of sense of wonder about uh, like where am I going and what am I doing, and are these are these spaces interesting to traverse and it 's ironic because I mean you know as well as everyone else listening who knows me that um, I mean pretty pictures don 't excite me, but I guess what i 'm saying is that like you know what like deep down inside like there is something about there 's something of value of having something look aesthetically good even if it contributes nothing to mechanics
0: yeah i i'm guessing it's something else now obviously i can't get into your head so i'm just sort of thinking about mine and i yeah i have i don't know if it's a similar criticism but it's it seems related when when you look at the obviously the screen scrolls around as you're moving around the level right but let's take a snapshot of one screen imagine the screenshot how many different blocks would actually fit on the screen it's Something in the order of like twenty-five or forty-nine blocks or something. I don't know how wide the screen is, it, by measurement of block. Oh yeah,
1: I mean it looked like maybe like I mean at least twenty by ten. So you a think? couple hundred. Oh yeah, On the tile of screen. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Either way, it's not a terribly high number, right? It, when I look at the screen, well, the
1: granular, I'm, the gran, also yes, the granularity is pretty big. Everything, as far as that
0: goes. everything is large, and if for a game that's made up of blocks, right. Yeah. Just a bunch of squares, the grid base, like you said, to be zoomed in enough that you can't have very many blocks on the level mm-hmm. means that you're pretty limited in what you can do. Right? There's only so much that can be going on there.
1: Yeah, that's true. That definitely affects how you compose levels too. Like it, it is the big the grid side is definitely bigger
0: than Spelunky,
1: and I also have to say, like in comparison to Spelunky, like Spelunky also like gave me a much greater sense of wonder by a lot.
0: Yeah, it just seems more vast, and so this game, I. I don't mind the visual. Like when we're talking about just straight up graphics. Yeah. I I kind of like the intentionally primitive look of it. It's clean. You know, you know what?
1: It's worked because Castle Crashers had that same aesthetic and that obviously works for them in millions of players.
0: Yeah. It, it, I'm fine with it. But uh I think the lack of complexity of the levels, which sort of it feels like part of the visual. But but the gets, thing is like the
1: the levels are complex, but there's just, they're just less complexity per screen, maybe. You know what I well, mean? Well, it's
0: like when you... So let's say you could zoom out in the game, right? Some yeah. magic zoom out feature so you could see everything that's going on. Yeah. You, where a game lets you see lots of stuff, you can you can see. Like, there's something you want to get to over here in the corner, but it looks like it's a place you can't actually reach right Right. okay so the question is how do i get there oh well i'm just gonna walk close and see what happens and know that i can't get there so i have to find some other way to do it right so it adds this this wonder that you're talking about right but if you're so zoomed in that all you can see is the immediate screen so it's every every part of the level that you traverse it's like okay how do i get from a to b it's very clear there's not much that could happen there's not a bunch of different ways that you could accomplish it a to b okay now, now the screen scrolls a bit and now i have to get from here to there and it's just a sequence of these these short accomplishments and i think when you have more going on visually like at a single time it allows you to to do what you're talking about is add add this mystery or one giving you more to see
1: well i don't think it's an issue of quantity but there's also something else really curious about it that i want to talk about all
0: right well we'll get right back to that
2: You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio! It's a number one!
0: Woo-hoo. Okay, so we're back. We're talking about not Castle Crashers, but the follow up to Castle Crashers Battle Block Theater. And I'm talking about how there's not much going on in the levels, so it actually seems a little bit boring. But
1: it, I think maybe I stopped you too early then, because... Why? Well, I told you, I'm like, look, you've played enough, the rest of it's the same shit, but it gets more complex.
0: Yeah, I, I did want to qualify and say, only played the demo and didn't even play all the demo, and I suspect, because I appreciate the Behemoth and what they do, I suspect things do get more interesting, and that there's a lot more interesting elements when it comes to multiplayer. It's
1: very it's very interesting. That's the thing. Like it's very interesting, but there's like these couple of these weird things that, you know, on a very personal level for me, actually, they don't they don't seem to work, right? The other thing that's actually funny ironically about um so every stage in this game is actually formed from a very large box, you know you play like every level is a big box basically
0: Really all the levels are the same size you mean
1: Well I can't say that for sure but the levels take the format of being in this big box but once you know that like once you play a bunch of levels and you know that every subsequent level is going to be of this format that it's just you're taking place in this box where eventually you're going to traverse all of it mm-hmm. That also ironically actually it's not that ironic that like that fact in and of itself also like eliminates this like sense of wonder because you it's like you you already have the expectation to know that how the level is going to be bounded and it takes kind of like it kind of takes the mystery out of it. Does that make sense? Because it's it's a really subtle thing, you know. Like a lot of games where the screen's scrolling in one direction, even though. It's scrolling in maybe even the same direction the whole time. If you're experiencing things like you know like lighting changes or environment changes or things like that as you go, you like that is more wondrous than knowing that you're in this box the whole time.
0: Yeah, but when it's scrolling, you also don't know how long it's going to be.
1: Yes, this is true, and maybe, maybe that's what it is, right? Because in that type of format, uh, you don't know what the extents are of the world that you're playing in. Whereas in this, um, you know, it's like you it's like a Street Fighter arena if we can reduce it to its maximum possible thing. Right? It's like you just you just know the extents of it and that's just less wondrous.
0: I'm curious how you know that it is this one big box. Well did it just become apparent to you by playing it? Because that never even struck me.
1: I knew I knew that from
0: playing all the demo
1: levels and I mean who knows obviously technically anything can happen we haven't played the whole game but just based on you know the past of playing games i think it's a pretty good it's not too much of a stretch i think to conclude that probably all the levels in the game are of that structure because it's usually that's usually how it goes
0: well if that's the case then wouldn't that be what you're used to in every game no so what do you mean it's usually how it goes?
1: That's usually how it goes in games that have a pattern like that. Okay. Usually the pattern of how stages are bounded becomes, if there is one, uh, becomes pretty evident early on.
0: Okay. So I, I'm thinking of something else related to our experience playing this now that I want to touch on. And that is the fact that, I'm guessing this is also going to be popular, but we can also uh, relate this to um, to Castle Crashers, right? Because like you said, it's, golden axe basically i mean it's it's a hack and slash i think that's what what we call them right yeah. or a beat em up but there's whatever. there's
1: but there's two big i mean i don't know i i think there's a couple big differences but what angle were you going for
0: well i'm just saying like so you're talking about how it is inherently good to have this feeling of of mystery in the game right not knowing something yeah, Not think, knowing certain elements makes it more interesting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, as Miyamoto has been popular for claiming or framing um, that, you know, he, he, there was some interview that was famous where he basically, like, you know, said that there, you know, it's, it's really valuable to have, like, a sense of, like, mystery or, like, to surprise the player with things, I think is the way he framed it,
0: yeah. you know. So I, I wonder if games like Castle Crashers, which also, heads up, never played that game. Not even once. No idea. Okay, I mean, I've, so I've basically it
1: it's, it's like Golden Axe.
0: You have like the red player, the green player, the blue and yeah. orange or something. Yeah, and, uh, and, like and there's
1: like a world map system. So you have a bunch of stages across a world map. and, yeah, and It's you just, more or less the structure. You're all knights
0: and you go around and you hack stuff and right. whatever. Um, so there's a couple things. right? We say that games are video games are most like it's a kid thing. Kids play games. It seems to be what's, what people think. Although, I guess, studied demographics tells us that that's not really the case. Um, but we look at a game like that, or perhaps like Battle Block Theater, or other games that you and I might deem as simple, um, or just you know not interesting. And I wonder if they're more, more popular with children simply because it's the first time the kids are being exposed to this. So this idea of wonder still exists just because they haven't seen it before. Like I've always I, said, I think like, that's
1: totally true. Well, yeah. It, the only reason why I'm not wondrous about it anymore is because I've seen the structure so many times that my brain is like, "Yep, seen that. It's going to be exactly like this." Now, maybe I'm only right ninety percent of the time about it, but when you see certain structures like that over and over, like it's, I mean, it's pretty frequent. You're, yeah. you're pretty confident that it's going to be that way.
0: So I, I had an experience this weekend. I went, um, I went to, I, I visited my family in in California. And my family includes two nephews, one of whom is not quite 10 years old yet. And I introduced him to Braid, which ideally, I think, would be for someone a little bit older than 10. But uh, but he started playing it. And they're actually, what's weird is there were two girls that were younger than him um, in the room watching as well. Like some, someone else's kids were there. How we young? Um, one of them was like, actually, one might have been older because one was eight. Okay. Um, and she, you know, loved video games and stuff. But she was a weird one, constantly like yelling, "Oh, do that, do that, do this." The, re- the reason why I'm asking, just if I can interject real quick, is that I,
1: I found that there's something kind of magical that happens around the age of seven years, where if you if you try to if you watch kids play under that age, uh, they're not very goal oriented, and they actually don't really understand. It's very hard for them to grasp. Like, uh, there's a goal in this interface, and I'm supposed to accomplish it they just fuck around
0: yeah they just want to see buttons do stuff yeah
1: when uh, once once you get to around seven years like that's when you really start like being able to like engage in goal-based play but anyway yeah. keep going
0: so anyway it, braid is relatively complex and the the puzzle solving is, oh, is yeah. tough and it's, totally. it's certainly like it's tough for adults to realize what's going on in the game and it, it's weird because you can observe things you can see what's happening but it's still very hard to express in words what it means so there's like part of this game you, there's a lot of time manipulation without getting into too many details there's one part where like if something is glowing green then it's not subject to time manipulation like if you reverse time it's not going to yeah. go back in time yeah i mean that's, that's just, a
1: pretty advanced communication device you know the kids might not grasp. yeah but right i would
0: away. tell them. i was like so you see the green stuff the green stuff's not moving back in time right and so like so here, talk it out. Like, what do you need to accomplish? You need to accomplish opening this door and then opening that door. But you have a one key and, like, the door is green. So what does that mean that it's green? We've already talked about this. It means that the yeah. door won't cl- won't go back in time when you reverse time, but the key will, right? Like, So talking it through um, is really important, even for, for an adult. Somebody who's been around for years and years and years. But um, I think the reason I started talking about this is that it was – there's this great joy in watching a child learn and, like, be excited that they're learning something. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's one reason we like to show kids games. Also and, adults. Yes. Also when you're an adult. Absolutely. But when you're they a kid, going. it's yeah. great sure. when you're an adult teaching a kid because the kid, everything is new. Right. This is true. So you show him any of that. Oh my God, it's amazing, yeah. right? But I could show him Golden Axe or Castle Crashers or whatever. Like, okay, it's interesting to him, and in his head, he gets it. But I would just be staring at it, being like, "This is boring," and I don't. Yeah. I'm not quite grasping what's interesting about it. Right. But with Braid, I'm like, "Hey, check it out. Okay, this is really cool. You're going to love this." And now the new world. There's something totally different that happens. It's awesome. Yeah. Check this out.
1: Well, well, Braid is clearly mechanically deeper and more interesting. Yeah,
0: it it was good. So, I guess I was thinking this was. Uh, deeper than I originally thought. But I've talked many times about how, as an adult, I find things less interesting now because I've gone through them a million times. Yeah, yeah. So to just say the inverse that, well, kids find things more interesting than we do because they haven't seen them before is just saying the same thing. So I don't need to go down that topic for, yeah. for any longer. Okay, so... Okay. There's one other aspect I want to cover. All right. This is this is really...
1: It just dawned on me also. There's a certain dynamic that this game has because how many
0: checkpoints did you count like during one level? Um... Isn't there one per green gem? Maybe so. There was a bunch. There was at least like seven or eight. Okay, six, seven, or eight. There was a whole bunch. Yeah, there's basically no no problem dying. You're never worried about dying.
1: And so, like, I would say there's maybe like there could be anywhere between like ten and thirty seconds between a checkpoint. Is that accurate? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So here's the funny thing, Um, because they have set up this dynamic of spacing gameplay challenges apart by roughly that space of time
0: in other words a short period
1: yeah and um the fact that when you die there you just zoom right back to that checkpoint without any other consequence it actually does something really upsetting to the dynamic of gameplay and this is what i like about this
0: game the least it turns it into like button mashing where there's no consequence to anything that you do Yeah.
1: So if I can elaborate just a little bit on that, what ends up happening is that they, in order to, it's almost, uh, it's almost as if they've actually like started with that structure and they've designed levels to compensate for having so many checkpoints instead of maybe, maybe when the other way around might be better. And here's why, here's why I say that. What they've done is that they put something really, really hard, like right after a checkpoint. And this kind of hard in this game is not like a, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it takes, maybe it's the normal kind of hard where it just demands a certain amount of dexterity. But the thing is, because the checkpoints right there, it actually encourages you to play in a really stupid way.
0: Yeah, Did well, I'll just try be... this, see what happens. I don't know that they necessarily put the hard thing after the checkpoint as much as they built the level and then said, well, let's put a checkpoint right before this so that when you fail, yeah. you can just try again.
1: Well, there's so many checkpoints, actually, that it just all gets muddled together anyway. So maybe that's not important.
0: But yeah. what I found
1: myself doing is, you know, there's like this one part where you go into this thing and it launches you and then there's something else that kills you if you don't, like, launch at the right timing. And there's a whole bunch of stuff just like that, right? And so... See, if I was in a game that was maybe uh, slower paced or maybe didn't have as many checkpoints, I would proceed a lot more gingerly. But because I don't have to, I find that I'm like redoing the same thing, like five or six or seven or 10 or 15 times in the space of seconds. And that's a really unpleasant gameplay loop to engage in. Like it's not interesting for me because I'm, I'm redoing. Like, there's a really, like here's the thing. Here's the question I'm getting at, right? Like, you can have a loop of an activity of different lengths, and the dynamic changes according to that,
0: and I'll tell you the rest of it.
2: Where are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology. UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu.
1: All right, we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio.
0: We are getting right into it. After I mentioned UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, you were just telling me about how the dynamic of the game totally changes when the, the uh, space of time in between each checkpoint varies like it would be yeah, a different game if it was longer or shorter
1: it's not just uh, this is for every game you know like you know because I love racing so much I, a lot of the times I think of it in terms of like uh, you know if you're driving around on a track like what's what's the ideal lap time the sense that I get which may be completely different than other people although I don't feel like it's completely different um, is that, like, Wipeout Like Wipeout has lap times that, like, approach, like, 30 seconds. Way too short. It's, like, it's too repetitive. You just, there's just something really unpleasant about repeating things uh, with that frequency. On the other hand, um, you know, like, in Gran Turismo, there'll be a track that maybe is, uh, like, let's say, three minutes, right? That sometimes feels too long. Although Nürburgring takes like seven minutes and I can't get enough of that. So um, there goes that theory.
0: But there's no laps on Nürburgring.
1: Well, on the other, no, there are. There can be laps. Seriously? Yes.
0: I thought it's just start to finish.
1: No, it is a loop, actually. I
0: did not realize that. Okay. You can do laps. Corrected.
1: You can can do your seven-minute laps. You can do a 15-lap race if you really want. But anyway, that's not what I'm trying to convey. What I'm trying to convey is that the the repetition loop... And I think, like, I got this feeling from games like Super Meat Boy also, right? When you're doing the same... Like, when you're trying to do the same thing and fail and retry in a space of, like, 15 seconds, 20 seconds or less... It's very unpleasant for me.
0: But I, I think it's also a reaction to the complaint that when you have a really difficult task... For instance, levels in Super Meat Boy... Um, and you have maybe some filler gameplay before the hard thing. Right. Then you have to go, okay, well, I failed. Now I have to start again and always go through that filler every time. That's even more frustrating. Well, it is.
1: It is. So I, I. So here's the funny thing is that uh, adding checkpoints is a way to deal with that problem, but it doesn't solve it. It's like a really – like it's like the Band-Aid that like you've had in your Band-Aid box that's been there for 10 years because you never use Band-Aids and it's – kind of open so the adhesives, like, you know, not so good, and you'll put it on and it'll come off in, like, ten
0: seconds. I'm not loving this analogy.
1: Look, it's a temporary fix. It doesn't actually adequately address, address the problem. Okay. I think that the problem is that you have uh, situations where it's, you know, you're, you're giving the player a really boring tract of gameplay to engage in and then you're following that up with uh, this extreme challenge. And so I think that the proper way to address it is that you actually, you kind of even things out a little bit or you do something so that, you know, there's a way to construct challenges. I feel like in, in a lot of different dynamic ways that all feel different that don't involve uh, you getting sent back. And the interesting thing is that the, yeah, I mean, like, I think what you're describing is that basically like the idea of getting sent back a lot is really upsetting to the player because a lot of times when that happens, they have to trudge through a part that's um, trivial to get to the hard part, right? And so the hard part's interesting and they want to retry that, but then the beginning part is not interesting and it's a huge hassle just to wade through that to get to the hard part and then you feel like your time's being wasted, right? So the easy thing is, okay, well, let's just put a checkpoint right before the hard part, right? But then the fun, another funny thing happens, right? Because this is a uh, – because you're dealing with humans, you know? So I think what the human does is because the checkpoint is right next to it, then they engage in a lot of gameplay behavior that's actually very unrewarding, which is let me just randomly try this and randomly try that until something sticks. Yeah, they just become more risky. Yeah, because – you're right. For obvious reasons, right? My point is, is that it's, it's not very satisfying to play that way. I don't think it is for many people. Because you don't feel like you're actually learning. You just feel like you're you know, sticking the block inside of the hole and you just keep doing it until you get to the shaped hole that's the right shape.
0: Yeah, i got to say, this This is sort of the age-old question of do you allow a save-anywhere system or not, right? Because it creates the same, same situation.
1: Yeah, so the kind of... Um, Okay, so this is really interesting, right? So what I like to say is that I think the best way to deal with these kinds of things is to put the player in a performance situation where uh, failure actually doesn't require uh, you to restart. It can be just as simple as like, well, you know, you made a mistake on one of the notes in Guitar Hero or something, and you can play the song to the end. And your, what happens is that according to your mistakes, that's what your score is, right? And so you can, like, you can engage into – see, here's the thing, right? With that kind of repetition, it really, like, disrupts your flow. And if you are allowed to engage in, like, a smooth, long enough session that's uninterrupted, that gives you the ability to, like, get into this flow state that if it's so staccato, I feel like you never really get a chance to achieve.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll buy that. Yeah.
1: So that's my take on that.
0: At the same time, I think about things that are super hard, and I wonder, like, should they just not make them super hard? Or otherwise, I'd have to go yeah. through a really long level? And- well, it's the
1: kind of hardness where, like, this one particular example in this game that I ran into, um, there's, I mean, see, here's the funny thing, too, right? Like, everybody talks about hardness, and I've complained about this before, so I won't dwell on it, but... Uh, hardness isn't just a matter of quantity it's a matter of quality too and this kind of like adding checkpoints to make things easier kind of like doesn't respect that reality
0: well it it then turns it into something easy
1: yeah but the other thing too is that what it does is that it enables you to make something see the kind of hardness that's really bad uh is, is in the kind of hardness in this game that i've experienced is that Um, you know, like I, I touch something that shoots me across the screen, right? On the other side of the screen that I can't see at the, before I launch myself is some guy who's like lobbing things. Right. And for some reason, every time I get in that thing that launches me over, I get hit by one of those lobbing things. So then I try to like, wait, like, like, what can you do? You cannot do anything, but try to wait different intervals of time before you launch yourself to see what the result is. And that's just an – un like it's hard because there's no there's no like logic involved. There's no puzzle solving involved. There's no thinking involved. There's no – like you don't have like latitude to kind of like dance around and play with it and recover from your mistake. It's just like try this, eh, try this, eh, try this, eh, try this. Okay, that worked. And that's like – I mean that's just like the most basic like fundamental like trial and error like – uninteresting kind of gameplay i mean eventually you can figure out anything with trial and error that doesn't mean that it's good and it doesn't mean that it's satisfying process i feel like after a process like that i haven't really learned anything
0: i agree with you i agree and now for some reason i'm getting on a tangent in my head and wondering if i i wish uh well we only got like five minutes left so let's go with it i wonder if game enemies or just things in games should be more randomized and less pattern-based because there's this whole thing like you know Mega Man and oh and here look lots of enemies are very pattern you just have to learn the pattern so that you can beat them and so that's like that's the challenge to learn the pattern right but, but what if that character just... was throwing it at randomized intervals? Yeah.
1: But here's the thing, right? It's not about pattern or no pattern. I think it's about communication. It's about the game having a communication dialogue with you. See, in that last example, uh, there was no there's like there's no communication in between the input and the output. And that's what's bad. That's what makes trial and error if you can't perceive it, right? Or if it's not even there. Because, like, right, like going with your example, like, okay, um, here's the interesting thing is that before you learn, like, an enemy's pattern, right, it very well could be just as well may it be random to you. When you learn the pattern, then the enemy has a pattern. You know what I mean? So it's like your first encounter with an enemy, whether it's actually random or patterned, it makes no difference. It only makes a difference until after you've figured out the pattern. And I feel like what they do is they make... They give enemies patterns so that you can learn ways to exploit them. And it also, like, opens up some space for there being communication between what the enemy is about to do and how you should react to it versus the enemy... See, the thing is, like, if it was completely random, totally random then the bad thing about that is that he, the enemy would do things you couldn't anticipate. You couldn't exploit and learn from those things, right? So that's clearly bad. So we don't want, like, total randomness.
0: Well, unless, as you said, there's some communication about it. Like- unless, you know what, if they
1: make an enemy that has random behavior but is sufficiently communicative about it, then, uh, then that's just as good, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's totally fine, too. So I think it actually doesn't have anything to do with whether it's random or totally patterned. I think the key is just, like, the communication, um, like you just reminded me, actually, um, yeah. So like one of my friends, Kyle, likes to do uh, speed runs about of this game called uh, I forgot the name, but it's called Lyle in Sector Zone or something like that. And it's a platforming game. And there's these enemies in the game when he does speed runs, and every single time he doesn't know if the enemy is going to stay still or jump. Right? This is really important in a speed run because you don't have time to wait and find out what it's going to do. You just go, and you're just going to guess. Right? If you think it's going to jump, you keep walking and it will jump over you. If it thinks that – if you think that it's not going to jump, then you should jump, right? But if you jump, then it will jump to meet you and that's really bad, right? So and this is this random? It's totally random. So this is the only thing that actually like really fucks up his speedruns because it's left up to chance because he has no
0: time to do anything but to just guess. But couldn't he jump at, at a specific time so that his jump would never meet the other character? So let's assume in some cases that's not possible and these are the okay. cases
1: we're talking about. Okay. So in that case, it's really bad, right? It's random, but it's, ra- it's just random without communication, right? Like, the game needs to communicate with you. Like, it has got to be telegraphs. It's got to tell you what's about to happen. It's got
0: to give you a chance. It's got to give you some hints. Yeah, it's got to basically enable you to win the game 100% of the time without ever getting hurt, provided you're good enough rather than leaving it up to chance.
1: Right, but also I think that that everything possible there should be a theoretical possible if the game if the player is good enough never having done it before, in other words never having to rely on previous trial and error. I think that is like a maybe too much of an ideal, but that is like an ideal.
0: In other words, so that it communicates how it communicates with sufficient time no, for you just, to pick it up. it just up?
1: communicates well enough so that the player who's expert could theoretically you know, maybe get through the whole game on the first try without making mistakes.
0: Theoretically. Okay. Very it. theoretical. Yeah. Okay, well, that's another show in the can, sir.
1: Yes, it is.
0: In the can. Thank you very very much for listening, everyone. Don't forget, facebook.com slash radio. Interact with us. That's what we do. And we'll talk to you next week. Good night, guys.
2: You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.